the Cinefessions podcast. This is our return episode for 2014. The format this time is going to be a little different. Normally, we have all these different segments lined up, and we talk through those and then have a, a review or two. This time, though, and, and what we're hoping to do for the rest of 2014 is simply two reviews a show. We're going to pick two movies that are uh, related somehow, same director, same theme, whatever the case is, they are somehow related, and then review both those films. And that's that, essentially. Uh, joining me, as always, I have Chris. Hello. And I have Ash. Hello. You can see this past week, we actually had quite a good number of new content on the website from both Chris, Ash, and myself, actually. We had a uh, Carrie review go live that I wrote, uh, Fruitvale Station. I reposted that one because that was written uh, when the movie came out theatrically, but it just came out on DVD this week. We had a Riddick review go live, another one where the DVD was coming out this week, and Your Next also went live. So these are all reviews that you can check out on cinefessions.com, so make sure you do that. All right, so this week, basically the month was running out, and so we needed to get the January podcast going. And so we were searching through Netflix, and we came across these ones. I came across these ones. These are both films that I knew about in the past. I've seen Malevolence in the in the past, but I have not seen Bereavement. Um, and so I saw both of them on Netflix Instant Queue, and I thought this would be a good way to start the new year off right. But according to some Twitter conversation, I feel like I may have made a mistake in that regard, but that's all right. So let's start with Malevolence. Malevolence was released in 2003, and here is the description according to Anchor Bay. It is the tragic story of a group of bank robbers on the run from the law. They hide out in an abandoned house on the outskirts of town, unaware it is next door to the home of a family of serial killers. One of their hostages escapes and runs for help, but all hell breaks loose when she runs onto the wrong house. So, Chris, what are some of your initial thoughts about Malevolence? <laughs> well, I... I don't typically judge anything by its cover, but I hated the cover right away. <laughs> and it's probably why I avoided it on Netflix. It just looked cheap. Throughout the whole movie, I couldn't get rid of that feeling that it was just cheap. It's I could say it plays homage to stuff, but I'm going to be honest, it's cheap. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, the, the shooting budget was $70,000, so it definitely is cheap. They, they said it was $70,000 shooting, but then in post-production, went up to $200,000. So this is clearly a micro-budget production, no doubt about it. I've seen some cheap movies, but this one just, I don't know. I was bored at first, and then like it, it it's not all bad. <laughs> what about you, Ash? What are some uh, initial thoughts? Well, it did feel like a budget budget horror flick, but I mean, I've seen so many of those growing up in the age of directed video or directed VHS that didn't really bug me too much. But what bothered me about it is it felt like this kind of almost like a ripoff of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. To be honest, it's like. I could be watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre and be more entertained right now. Fine. I didn't like any of the characters that, that we were supposed to relate to. The families didn't really seem fleshed out in the movie. I and mean, it was like, okay, it's just like they're doing a cheap version of Texas Chainsaw, which wasn't exactly expensive to begin with. Right. And it just, it, the first movie just did not gel with me at all. It's like, this feels like direct-to-video basic slasher flick. It didn't really have any hooks for me. Okay. So I, I didn't grow up in the era of the of the DTV in the 80s like that. And so the reason that this, this movie really hooked me in the beginning was in 2004, I was always driving back and forth from uh, Detroit to Rochester Hills, where I lived, to go to school in Detroit. And Malevolence, it was released in 2003, but it, I think it hit DVD in 2004 because I was listening to the radio and they had these radio spots on there. And the radio spots would um, highlight the end of the film, which, 
let me let me say now there are going to be spoilers for both malevolence and bereavement as we go on here just so you are aware that there will be spoilers for both films but the radio spots had the sheriff at the end of the movie who says something along the lines of alert the da there's going to be a lot of unhappy endings here and the radio spot was just excellent. I, the the whole marketing campaign around it uh, on the radio was really cool. And so it was something I had to see. And so that's why I ended up buying this DVD when it first came out back in 04. And I watched it right away. And really, this was my first foray into the world of low-budget horror. I know I hadn't seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre up until that point, so I didn't know anything about it. I think I may have seen Halloween, but it was many years prior. And so it wasn't really stuck in my mind as the incredible classic that it is now. And so this was kind of something new for me and it was very interesting. So that's the reason that I ended up buying the movie in the first place. And I really enjoyed it the first time I saw it. I actually gave it, I was looking at my IMDb score and I actually gave it a nine out of 10 back in 2004, if you can believe it. But that's, that's cool. I've since changed it. But yeah, so that, that's what got me uh, interested in this series to begin with was the fact that it had these awesome radio spots, which is another throwback to the 70s and 80s horror films. That's what they used to do was radio spots all the time. And, I, you know, like Chris said, you could call them homages, but it just felt cheap. I can definitely see how it felt cheap. Um, but there are so many of these throwbacks. It's almost too many because it, it just feels like it's just ripping things off as opposed to paying homage to it at that point. The ending in particular felt like a ripoff right out of uh, Night of the Living Dead when the main character walks out and gets shot by the police officer, the police officer not knowing who the bad guy really is. And so, yeah, I definitely agree that there are all these homages, but maybe it is too much. Another thing Ash touched on, the characters. I feel like there is virtually no character development whatsoever, which I really feel hurts the film. And then the acting is probably the, the biggest letdown for me. Yeah, that acting wasn't very good. <laughs> There was a couple decent scenes I got the Halloween vibe from, but mm -hmm. I wasn't creeped out. Halloween usually creeps me out. This didn't do anything for me. And I think another thing, um, going back to the homages, is the fact that the music, uh, the directors, oh yeah, the director Stephen Mena did the music himself for this one and Bereavement, actually. But in Malevolence, it just felt so forced, just like the acting, it felt so forced. And it was basically, to me, it was the equivalent of the director saying, this is where you need to be scared. This is now where you can feel calm. And, you know, in a general sense, that's what that's what the score is supposed to do for a film. But you could definitely see the difference between when the masters do it, like in, you know, John Carpenter and Halloween or Alfred Hitchcock with Psycho. You can see how they do it compared to what you have here. And this just felt there was just way too much of the in your face. This is what you need to feel right now because this music is playing. Yeah, I blocked the, out the music until you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> actually, the, the funny you mentioned the music and Carpenter. The music score for this tech didn't actually scare me in so much as it reminded me of Escape from New York. <laughs> and, <laughs> And it, even then it was I an mean, escape from New York is tied to like the, the cannibal sequences mm -hmm. and you know, like the shocks when stuff jumps out at snake, it's like done for shock factor. It's like, ah, you know, in your <laughs> face for a second. And then it fades out and goes to more normal music. Mm -hmm. But this was just like, ah, in your face, the whole movie It's like, oh my God, light up. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that, Stephen Mena talks about in one of the special features on the disc is his cinematographer, uh, Suyoshi Komodo. 
And he has a background in documentary filmmaking, which plays into that Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe because obviously the cinema verite and uh, trying to play that low budget vibe. So clearly, even though it was low budget, they kind of played into the fact that it was low budget as opposed to trying to make it feel glossy like a Hollywood horror film, which I like that part of it. All right. You said you changed your IMDb score. What did you change it to? Um, I moved it from a nine to a five out of ten. Yeah. And so I ended up I, I'm giving it a, a two out of four stars. I, I do have some pros for the movie, though, um, as opposed to just all the, the negative thing. Oh, one more negative, though. Samantha with the accent. I don't know why the hell she had an accent. That just your daughter's clearly just this Midwestern girl from Pennsylvania. Now your mom has this accent for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> that killed me. I don't know why she did that. But in terms of, of pros, like I was saying, I, d- I admire what they were able to do with such a shoestring budget and, and that the marketing campaign is what I really enjoyed about the film before I was going into it. And when I watched it the first time, I really enjoyed it. But watching it uh, the second time, I can definitely see that there are just a lot better low-budget horror films out there. So that's why I ended up giving it a two out of four. Well, what about you, Ash? Do you have any other final thoughts on Malevolence before we move ahead to the prequel? Yeah, it was... I mean, it wasn't bad. It was generic. It was basically what it felt like to me. There was just, there was so much that they tried to throw in. It just ended up, it didn't have its own stamp. They tried to put it on there. It's like the crazy family thing. I mean, I've seen it so many times now. It's like, um, okay, you know, it's been done to death, but you know, you try to put some kind of unique spin on it and they, they just didn't with the first film, I don't think. And it, it just it felt very generic. So I'd say it's a little bit below average. I mean, it is impressive what they did with a shoestring budget. It just didn't grab me. And I think if they'd done a little more with the characters in the first one, it would have been a little better. But I don't know. I'd say maybe one and a half out of four. I, I, I don't think I'd go for a two. But yeah, it wasn't like the worst film ever made, though. So. Right. And what about you, Chris? Uh, I'm going with a solid one. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say it it did fly by. It wasn't like completely god awful dreadful, but I wasn't entertained. And that's what I look for in a horror film, at least to be entertained. Even the deaths were subpar. Yeah, there was virtually nothing memorable or exciting about any of the deaths, which is a bit disappointing in a slasher film. Stephen Mena also says, this is a quote from right from the, the making of, and I loved it, so I had to write it down. He says, malevolence is essentially a Freudian study of nature versus nurture, whether we're born serial killers or we're created based on our environment. This is an investigation of the latter. I think it's a very uh, deep and maybe overblown description of what the movie is, but I thought that was interesting nonetheless. Well, it's interesting he puts it that way, because I didn't get that from the first movie at all. Now, the sequel, which is actually the prequel i did get that from and i actually thought that was a 10 times better film cool yeah let's jump into that go ahead and continue talking about that one i didn't at first i thought it was just like a when we first started watching it you said it was a sequel and i realized pretty quick that it was like a prequel or like a re almost like a remake but i think the second film they they definitely still had kind of like a they had more of a budget it felt like and they weren't relying so much on the usual horror tropes or, you know, relying on so many homages. And they actually tried to do something interesting with it. And they actually got into the whole nature versus nurture thing with that in the sequel, which I actually liked. That was actually probably one of my favorite things about Rob Zombie's remake of Halloween and the sequel was that it wasn't just the shape out there killing people. Mm-hmm. You got to learn about Michael and those. And I liked that they did that with this for the sequel, sequel slash prequel. I'm going to call it the prequel. Yeah, uh, definitely the a prequel. prequel. 
I like that they did that with the prequels, but it to me, even even with all this backstory and everything that you get with the prequel, I would just, if I had to go back and watch them again, I would just watch the prequel and pass entirely on the first film, just because the prequel does such a great job building it up, and then if you went and watched the first film afterwards, you know, in in chronological order, it would just be a complete letdown. It's just like, okay, where, where's all the deep character building that we had in the other film? Uh, right. It's just not here. And it was it was actually interesting. I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but it was it was pretty decent. I was actually really surprised to see. Uh, I think it was Michael Bean. Yeah. In in the prequel, and uh, the woman from the uh, Texas Chainsaw movie that that was just released recently, she was in it too. I actually liked her better in this than I did in Texas Chainsaw, but she didn't have a lot to work with in Texas Chainsaw either. Um, so there's that. But uh, yeah, I actually really liked the prequel a lot more. It was a lot more watchable, and I actually kind of got into you know, her situation uh, which kind of ties into uh, it's juxtaposed with the way that the kid is being raised on the other end of the spectrum and it was neat seeing you know each way how things turn out for both of them yeah, I agree with you. The the prequel is uh, clearly a lot better movie than the sequel, That, as it turns out. Basically, I feel like they spent on the actors the entire budget of the first movie. Um, the budget for Malevolence, like I was saying, went from 70000 200000 in post. The budget for this one was $3.6 million. And so it's just a completely different ball game when you're working with, you know, 10 times the amount of money. And I think the biggest pro to having that extra money was the fact that they were able to find these excellent actors for it. Brett Rickaby, Michael Bean, Alexandra Daddario, who was in Texas Chainsaw and then went on to star in the Percy Jackson films after she did Bereavement. Nolan Funk, who's the, the, the love interest. And then, um, the little boy, Spencer List, who's, has this weird disease where he just can't feel things. I thought they were all just did a really good job with it. And uh, Spencer List, the little boy, his sister was actually the daughter in the film who played Michael Bean's daughter. And I thought she was adorable and, and really well, uh, really well cast and really well done as well. Um, so I think the biggest boost to the budget was the fact that they were able to hire these better actors. And what did you think of it, Chris? Uh, well, it's better. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't horrible. I, I won't say that, but mm -hmm. I was bored and I couldn't wait for it to end. Some of the writing was atrocious, like the scene with her and her boyfriend on the motorcycle, <laughs> driving and talking. I wanted to just... You too, huh? <laughs> oh, okay, that's the motorcycle scene you were talking about. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to just just mute it for like a good five minutes, <laughs> just be over with that scene, because I'm like, ugh, it was cringeworthy. It, it's funny, I started this movie first, and then realized I was doing the wrong order. Oh, yeah. Because I went with description-wise and not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so as soon as I realized, which was only a couple minutes in, I'm like, oh. So I agree with Ash. If I watched this one first, it would have been even more let down with the original. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can cl clearly tell bigger budget, better acting, better camera work, not an annoying score. <laughs> right. Things fall apart in the end with the dad and the... And it just felt corny. The kills were pretty good. I think there was one involving like a skirt and a hook almost. But yeah, the kills were much better. Definitely more character development. 
Yeah, I, I'm intrigued by the third one if it ever comes out. Yeah, that's what I was going to say because this is actually the Malevolence was actually the middle movie of a trilogy. And I was curious, I was going to ask you guys if you would be, would you check out the third one? Would you be interested in seeing a third, uh, you know, concluding chapter in this trilogy? Well, his his plot sounds pretty good. So, Is there a plot description but, for the third one? Yes. Uh, oh. The killer comes home, his parents know it's him, and he's killing people in the neighborhood, apparently. Okay, so. that's interesting. I didn't read that. Yeah, it's been in, it was on Kickstarter, I guess. Oh, then it, okay. Then it didn't get anywhere near what they wanted. Mm. I know he's looking for houses to shoot in, like New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. Oh. I don't know if he hit like a big wall because it's been it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one came out in 2010, but they actually filmed it in like 2007. I think I was reading. So it's been quite a while since they've actually done the filming for this one, at least. Yeah. I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah, I definitely would, too. What about you, Ash? The the idea for the third film seems solid. It depends on how, how well he does with it. I mean, the, the only thing, honestly, that the big thing, I was kind of curious what they were going to do with the kid in the prequel. But uh, what actually kept me watching was the niece, Michael Bean's niece, because she was actually kind of interesting and had some stuff going on. And uh, and while the kid was interesting, he and the 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 kidnappers meltdown wasn't enough really to keep my interest completely. It would that part would have been good as like a short film, but you know, coupled with Michael Bean's niece. Her character development and his interaction with her was kind of interesting. I think they'd have to have they'd have to have something like similar. I think for the third film, I don't think just focusing on just him coming home would do it. They'd need something else going on. I don't think that would work for a full length film. But uh, I think yeah, I'd be interested to see what they do with it at least. Yeah, it feels like the description for the third one feels like you know very Halloween, the night he came home. And so I think it would be interesting. I'm sure they'd have another female lead like they did with this one that to you know help drive the story. And I think that'd be very interesting. One thing, getting back to this this one, bereavement. I really that I really liked about it was the like that bullhead creature that uh, Graham Sutter, the kidnapper, basically is. Uh, he talks to in his head. Uh, I thought that thing was was very creepy and very well done. There's that moment when Martin's um, having a dream and he's kind of running through the fields and he looks up at the hill and sees uh, the the bull godlike creature standing there and the creature moves his head just slightly to the right and that that moment alone I was like wow that was really well done it really really freaked me out. Yeah, I did like that. They did a lot more subtle things with it. I mean, and, and, and getting hit into into the guy's insanity was kind of neat. I just. I just don't think that would carry over a full movie it, <laughs> for me, mm-hmm. at least. But most of my friends, I, I haven't been creeped out before by him for a while. But there's a funny story. We went out to a dinner one time into a Longhorn, and Longhorns always have those things hanging all over the walls. <laughs> and my friends actually couldn't eat because they were staring at the the cow skulls were staring at them. <laughs> so I think those are inherently creepy anyway for most people. So. Mm-hmm. And my wife ended up eating, but she was eating chicken, so I don't know if that counts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any any final thoughts on either of them? I don't think so. <laughs> so clearly, Chris was a little let down by this double feature, but that's all right. There'll be eleven more this year, so maybe we'll get something that uh, you'll enjoy more. No I- nudity either. I, I require nudity. Good nudity. Yeah, it's. <laughs> It's weird that both these slasher films, don't, which are clearly homages to the 70s and 80s slasher films, which are just filled with nudity. This has nothing. And it's it's very strange. I agree. <laughs> um, I think I'd, I, like I said, I'd, I'd probably watch the second one again, just because it was, the overarching stuff was halfway decent. And, then, you know, it would be something to have on in the background while you're doing something else. But I don't think I'd actively go to, you know, to watch it. But uh, I don't know. I think uh, I think I'd give the prequel probably a two out of four. 
it was it was better than much better i think than the than the first one what about you chris what's your final rating on bereavement yeah i totally forgot about a score um probably two two like i wanted at the end <laughs> by the end i was just tired of these people being stupid <laughs> Because they, they really get dumb near the end with that whole freezer and the... I'm like, come on. Yeah, I, I was a little more lenient on this one. I gave it a three out of four. I just enjoyed it. Like I said, I thought the bull-like creature was well done. The acting was excellent. Uh, Brett Rickaby, uh, who was also in The Crazies. He said, like, I think he's in the beginning of The Crazies where he is one of the first or infected people, I guess, that the main character meets and he was excellent in that. And it's very similar to his role here, except a lot more developed. And I thought he just did an excellent job. His moments where he's talking to himself, I'm not sure where that stems from. It was kind of left out in the open, never really explained. Um, I guess, you know, it's just a showing a general breakdown of his psyche. But I thought those could have been a, like, a little more explanation would have made more sense with those. But I, I really like the cinematography and the cast. And so I ended up giving it a three out of four stars. So the next question is, what are we going to do next? Which which film pairing should we go with next? Well, I think Ash already watched half of my first choice, and we, we both dropped the ball. So Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I got both of them now, so I can watch. Are we going to do the Bollywood double feature then for our next podcast? It's going to be Doom and Bride and Prejudice. If you do watch Doom, watch Doom 2. Doom 2 actually has the better plot and better music. Oh, okay. Is that on Netflix? No, they took both of them down on the same day, so oh, you have okay. to rent the, the second one too gotcha doom 3 is in theater so that's crazy i don't i can't imagine it's anywhere near me though we never get anything small like that unless you drive 45 minutes away I played for like three weeks here i have a shot oh wow uh, yeah it's huge in india it's the biggest money-making film that they have ever released in in india wow it's different i'm, I'm excited to talk about it because just watching the first half of doom it's Unlike most big movies that you'll see here, completely unlike them. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to talk about that next month. So that is a little preview of February's Cinefessions podcast. Uh, I just want to thank Chris and Ash again for sticking out both of these picks, even though you guys didn't like them as much as I did. That's all right. It happens. You're not afraid, are you? From independent director Stephen Minner comes the most acclaimed horror film of the year. <laughs> Malevolence. They thought it was the perfect plan. They were dead wrong. He killed him. Oh, God. Malevolence. It was the scariest movie I've seen since Halloween. I loved every second of it. It was the scariest movie I have ever seen in my entire life. Malevolence. Who are you? I told you this whole thing was a mistake. Malevolence, winner best feature in both the Long Island and New York Horror Film Festivals. America's number one horror distributor, Anchor Bay Entertainment, presents the film critics call the best horror film of the millennium. Malevolence. Malevolence rocks. Great movie. Malevolence. Better call your missing persons bureau. Got a lot of unhappy endings up here for them. Malevolence. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. Includes strong violence and some language. I did watch um, one of my, because we all made the personal Cinefessions list that I, I put that challenge out on the last podcast oh so long ago. And so we all made a dozen films that we needed to see. And I ended up watching one of them. And that article went live in their last film swappers. It was Rosemary's Baby. So I only have 11 left. So <laughs> Ash, didn't you watch one of yours too? Like right after um, you made the list? Yeah, I watched a couple of them actually. Um, I've watched 17% of them. I ended up watching... Oh. Out of my 12, I watched Our Man Flint and uh, Barbarella. Our Man Flint. I don't even know what that is. 
Our Man Flint was the U.S.'s answer to James Bond. Um, oh, okay. But it was they kind of went more satire with it. Uh, it's actually fairly decent. James Coburn's the lead in it, and he plays Flint. And Flint's actually technically retired, but he and they end up bringing him in out of retirement to stop uh, stop this uh, mad utopian mad scientist from taking over the world. And uh, it, it, they do all of the usual James Bond stuff, which is interesting because the film came out in '66, so Bond was just really getting into gear in 66 and they kind of if you've seen even in the modern bond stuff it's a complete parody of that stuff too well not i mean not uh i'm thinking roger moore's bond and, and timothy dalton's bond and uh those before they did the reboot uh with casino royale um but uh yeah it's it was actually fairly decent i ended up giving it uh well three and a half out of five so uh, be like a three out of four ish. That's awesome. Yeah. As you started talking about, it, I remember you telling me about that. That was a while ago. It's been such a long time since we've done the last podcast though. So it's hard to keep track. Yeah. The other one I watched, I didn't like nearly as much and I'd only send bits and pieces of a kid, which was Barbarella. And apparently I needed to be like completely high to watch that film because it was just so all over the place. I mean, the acting wasn't great uh, in parts and some of it was okay. Some of it was still watchable, but it was just, it's like, it's like they took a whole bunch of heavy metal magazine shorts and kind of threw them all together in one movie and said, here you go. Except, you know, instead of having it be just random different pieces, it's all supposed to be one continuous piece and make sense. It just didn't. So who's the main character in that? Is it, I can't, I know who it is, but I can't think of her name. Well, it came out in 68 and it was Jane Fonda. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and she's great in that. Actually, she was pretty much the only thing reason I kept watching it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she was actually kind of interesting, and they, they do some in, they do some different things, especially for '68. It's like kind of risque on the edge stuff that you know you wouldn't have seen in cinema at the time. But it was just it, it, now it's kind of like not having grown up with that, and you know having all the other shock stuff that I've seen over the years is kind of like this is actually kind of tame. But it wasn't. It just didn't stick with me as well as I thought it would. So, but I've actually got uh, the one I've got that I haven't watched yet. Uh, actually, I've got two of them I haven't watched yet: uh, Doctor Strange, Lover, How I Stop Worrying, and To Love the Bomb, and uh, Seven Samurai. I haven't watched either of those yet. I've yeah. When you watch Doctor Strange, Love, we need to talk about that because that's a film that uh, when I was teaching a film course in grad school, my who was the guy who was mentoring me was in love with the movie. He's like, "Oh, you've got to see, you've got to see it." And I watched it and was incredibly disappointed. And so I, I'm very interested to talk to you about it and see what your thoughts were on it. But you're generally a, probably a smarter guy than I am, so you probably get a lot more of the references than I do. But it'd be uh, interesting to talk about. No, it's not necessarily smarts. It's just like um, you just have to have some of the, some movies. It's just you have to have been exposed to a lot. It, like the cable guy, it, it's one of those movies where it's, if you haven't been exposed to a lot of cable television, it it's not funny at all. You won't get any of the references, you know. So it's just and there's that to it. But Doctor Strangelove too is um, isn't that uh, oh who directed that. Kubrick. Kubrick, yes. Kubrick's yeah. movies have been hit or miss with me for a long time anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Like, some of the stuff, it's like I can see where he was going with it, but it's just kind of like, okay. Uh, <laughs> another, you know, other stuff is just like pure gold. Uh, Did you like The Shining? 
I actually really liked The Shining. Uh, okay. I had actually saw that long before I ever read the book, and I loved Nicholson in that movie. Classic film. Mm-hmm. Um, I like about half of 2001. The rest of it, you can actually just either skip or just excise it from the rest of the film, and it's a much <laughs> better movie. <laughs> but uh, Full Metal Jacket's actually probably one of my favorites. That and uh, The Shining are his two that are my two favorites. Um, and even then full metal jacket, I actually like the first half of the film much better than the second half. Um, but, uh, it, it's, you know, he's kind of hit or miss with me and I was my, uh, my younger years, I was exposed to some of his stuff long before I probably should have, and I probably should rewatch it. And I might get it more as an adult now, you know, cause I was like a teenager in high school when I saw most of this. So it was kind of like what <laughs> but, uh and kubrick's okay it's dr strange love it's like one of those movies i've only seen bits and pieces when it was airing on tv and like the the, the bomb riding sequence and a couple of things i've you know seen referenced in movies over the years otherwise you know parodying it but uh uh but yeah i have never actually sat and watched the whole film so that's why i added it to my list yeah i'm excited for you to watch seven samurai as well I've actually, it's amazing. Yeah, I've actually got the Criterion version of that. Is oh, that, it's st- oh, it looks so good. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love that. Yeah, my uh, my son bought it for me for Christmas a year or two ago, and we just never had the opportunity to sit and watch it. So I I need to do that because it looks. Yeah, I've actually watched the anime that that based itself off of the original film. So yeah, that'll be interesting. Which one was that? Is it just called Seven Samurai? Or? Uh, it's actually they reversed it. It's Samurai Seven uh, for the. Anime. Oh, okay. Uh, it came out a couple years ago, but it's um, they're samurai, but it's kind of almost steampunkish and uh, slashed with like cyberpunk. Um, hmm. But uh, it's it's interesting, but it follows the same almost the same plot, similar characters, uh, the villagers and all that stuff. It's just that the army that they're fighting happens to be like. Uh, cyborgs and stuff like that instead of actual people so right awesome chris have you gotten into watching new years yet uh i didn't think i did but apparently i did uh <laughs> I, I, I spit on your grave was actually on my list and i never oh you watched it. it yes the original did we even one. talk about that probably not i don't think we talked about you need to talk about it what did you think of that uh i actually liked it uh there's Good. there's plenty yes. of nudity I mean, I mean, <laughs> you're in nudity heaven there. There's a few <laughs> issues. There, I mean, I mean, how many times is she going to accidentally run into them to get raped again and again? But right, right. <laughs> but uh, but the revenge half of the rape and revenge is just awesome. Yeah, the in there. I mean, it's all very well done, even for being the kind of film it is. Have you? Did you see the remake already? No, I've I've seen the sequel, <laughs> but I haven't seen the remake. Oh, okay. You need to see the remake now. The remake is well done also. Yeah, I don't think it's on Netflix. I think that's the only reason why I haven't seen it. I think I need to change up my film swappers, my choice for you. You need to watch M. Okay, I think that's actually on my list. Yeah, it's on your Cinefessions list. That's, I'm looking at it. Oh, oh you're stalking. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I like that even like today, the whole rape thing, It's they still go with the, well, she was asking for it. I always thought that was... Well, I thought that was interesting. That even I don't even know what year I spit on your grave came out. Probably the seventies. Seventy eight, yeah. Yeah. So I mean I mean even today you still hear the same thing going around with everything. So I thought it right. was interesting that, you know, it's been thirty, forty years and it's still exactly the same. 
I mean, normally you see something different, something change, something progress, but I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Cool. Oh, did you guys see the uh, Oscar nominees today? Yeah, no. and I'm I'm going to continue ignoring Oscar's recommendations <laughs> and watching the same shit I like to watch. Right, exactly. <laughs> because I, I, the fact that they didn't nominate Pacific Rim for visual effects is a travesty. I'm sorry. That movie is visually stunning, and they just kind of crapped all over it. It's just like, really? <laughs> I'm with Scott Weinberg. He was going on and on about the fact that uh, Blackfish wasn't nominated for documentary, which Blackfish was an incredible documentary. And then the fact that Bad Grandpa was nominated for makeup, but they only had three makeup nominees, and one of them wasn't Evil Dead. I mean, Evil Dead had some incredible incredible special effects makeup work there that that definitely could have used some recognition but oh yeah i and I, I of some of the stuff that was nominated great good for them but it's just like really three nominations for one one category and we have nine for best picture what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah exactly I, I missed the nominations i was probably sleeping you're, here. exactly <laughs> you're, you're better off now but, yeah, but right. is Jared Leto up for Best Supporting Actor? Yes, he was nominated for yeah. Dallas Buyers Club. There we go. See. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was my only concern because he gives just this amazing performance. You don't even know it's him. You don't even think it's him. Like, it's just top notch. I need to see that one. It's pretty good. I need to see Nebraska, but I think that leaves today. Yeah, I want to see that one, too. I've actually not seen a trailer or anything for Nebraska. Everyone's like raving about it, and I haven't even bothered to go look at a trailer. <laughs> it's in black and white. I think is all I know about it because I saw a picture. Yeah, yeah, it's black and white, and basically this old man he's dying, and he pretends to win the lottery, and it's the consequences within this town in Nebraska. Okay. Did you guys? I I know one of you watched Blackfish. Did both of you watch Blackfish? Ash, I think you watched it, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, wife and I popped it on like a week or two ago off of Netflix. I liked Blackfish. Uh, it's kind of one-sided, and if uh, because SeaWorld's obviously not going to talk about it either way, right? Even right. if they do talk about it, SeaWorld looks like they're covering something up, regardless. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, you know, you get enough people talking about it, it's like, hmm, maybe there's something going on here that they should be looking into. But yeah, yeah. it was. I I liked it, and everyone's like, oh, they've got an angle. Well, yeah, of course it looks like they've got an angle, because they were only allowed to talk to one side of it. But they don't present it like an angle. It's like, you know, here's what happened. Here's what's mm-hmm. been happening. Here's what's going to continue to happen unless something's done about it. And that's just the purpose of documentaries. So I actually really, really like Blackfish. That I thought it was fantastic, and I was actually really heartbroken at the end of it. It's like, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. So, Chris, where else can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Wolverine Factor. Awesome. And, and Ash, where can we find you? DieHardGameFan.com and on Twitter at DHGFAsh with an E at the end. Perfect. All right. Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we will see you again in February. <laughs>
And so I was able to watch some like special features and whatnot. And it was pretty interesting. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You own those. I do. I'm, I do. I'm so sorry. 